appreciate the uh, opportunity uh, to be able to come here this evening, uh, to be able to share this time with you all. Uh, we're greatly looking forward to uh, the upcoming months when we'll get ready to uh, head to the Brown Trail School of Preaching and uh, begin attending there. Uh, so it's been a really uh, exciting last couple of months. We've got to meet a whole lot of brethren and uh, very grateful for it and uh, pleased to be able to be here with you all this evening. Uh, the lesson this evening is titled Preach the Word, and we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of uh, going forth in not only preaching but even evangelizing, and whose responsibility is it to go forth and to evangelize, reach out to the lost, spread that gospel-saving message. We're also going to talk about the importance of truth being taught, and then our last and final point will be that when truth is taught, what we're hoping for is it brings about repentance, that it brings about a change of heart in a man, that he can change his ways and begin to follow after Christ. But our first point being, whose responsibility is it? Whose responsibility is it to go forth, not only preach, we understand who it is that needs to preach, the preachers are going to preach, men will preach, but even to evangelize, reach out to the lost. Consider that Christianity is a taught religion. Uh, we are all taught Christianity by learning and gaining understanding of the Word of God. Uh, some are fortunate enough that they'll begin to learn at a young age. Some maybe into their teenage years. Others maybe even into their adult life before they gain understanding of the Word of God. But what we do understand that it is it does have to be taught, and it is that word that saves. James two or James one and verse twenty one. James one and verse twenty one says, "Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word." which is able to save your soul. You consider Romans 10 and verse 17. We understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? We understand also in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him. So we've got to have an understanding of the word of God and we gain faith by hearing the word of God and we must have faith if we're going to be pleasing unto him. Now consider... Again, we're talking about evangelism or even going forth and preaching. Whose responsibility is it? Consider even the apostles and the instruction that was given to them in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and verse 16. It says, Go into the, into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now consider Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and verse 20. It says there, Go forth... Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now pay attention to this one. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And that's important. Too many people today are living in what they call would call a, a grocery cart Christianity, where they're going to pick and choose. I'm going to apply this to my life, and I'm going to apply that to my life, but I'm going to leave this, and I'm going to leave that. That's not how it works. We're to take the whole Word of God, and we're to change our lives to fit that Word. Now, I'm sure that we could all agree whose responsibility it is to go forth and to evangelize. We're all brethren. We understand who it is. But much of the world would say, that's not my responsibility. Much of the world would say, no, that's a preacher's job. That is not my job. They'll say, that's the deacon's job. That's, that's the elder's job. That's anybody's job but my job. But whose responsibility is that? Well, let's look to the Bible. Take a look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And I want you to pay attention to who it is that goes forth and begins to teach and to preach. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Acts 8, verse 1, it says, Now Saul, consenting to his death, at the time a great persecution arose. We're talking about the death of Stephen. 
Stephen had just been stoned to death. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look at verse 3. It says, As for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them into prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Well, if it wasn't the apostles, who was it? It was those first century disciples. Those first century Christians, those who had heard the word, who had believed the word, who had been baptized for the remission of sins, now going forth and beginning to preach and to teach and evangelize. You see what great persecution would come. God would use that for his benefit. He would use the scattering of these people for his benefit, for his glory, for the spreading of his kingdom. And all those who were taught the word, now they're spreading about and they're going about teaching and preaching, evangelizing. Consider with me also, if you will, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 13, and I want you to pay attention to what it is the Apostle Paul has to say about his responsibility, what he is obligated to do. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit amongst you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am debtor both to Greek and to barbarian, both to wise and and to unwise. Now, depending on the translation you're reading, it might say I'm under obligation to. Others say debtor to. Now, why is the Apostle Paul in debt to any man? You know, I consider being in debt today. I'm in debt to a mortgage company uh, making a house payment. I'm going to continue to make that payment until I pay it off. But I can be free of that debt at some point. I'm in debt to a car company. I'm going to make payments on my vehicle until that's paid off. But I can be free of that debt at some day. This, this is something where somebody has helped me to get something that I wanted, that I needed. I'm in debt to them now. This debt that the Apostle Paul is talking about, this is a debt that cannot be paid off. This is a debt that never will be paid off for as long as he shall live. But why is he in debt to any man? Because of what Jesus Christ did for him, right? Because of what Jesus Christ had done for him. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Apostle Paul realized that, guess what? I am part of that. I am one of those that he gave his life for, just like each and every one of us. Every one of us in here. He gave his life for us. And we understand even yet while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. The Apostle Paul understood that. You consider Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, but we see... Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The Apostle Paul realized he was part of that everyone, just the same as we are today. Therefore, just the same, are we not in debt to go forth and to preach and to teach, to evangelize, to reach out to the lost? Just the same as they were in that first century? Absolutely. That's just as much our responsibility today. You consider the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. This is the attitude of the Apostle Paul. He would say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Brethren, we should have the same attitude. If we're not reaching out, if we're not evangelizing, if we're not spreading that gospel message that can save souls, woe unto us. We also have to understand even in Romans 1 and verse 16. He would say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Brethren, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We, we cannot be ashamed of reaching out to others and trying to spread that good news that can save their soul. And if we are not, yes, woe unto us. Woe unto us. Paul understood that Jesus freely gave his life for him. 
And that only by the, by the blood of Christ can man be cleansed of his sins. He knew that there was no salvation outside the word of God. And that message has to be preached for man to be saved. It has to be taught. The gospel saving message. Therefore, understanding that he was, yes, a debtor to all man for what Jesus Christ hath done for him. Just the same as we are today. You consider even uh, the instruction that was given to young Timothy. Uh, turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The instruction that is given to young Timothy starting in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4 starting in verse 2. It says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now I want you to recognize the emphasis that Paul places on the importance of that verse. Look in verse 1. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing of his kingdom. He says, I charge you, young Timothy, before God, your creator, before God, the creator of the universe and mankind. I charge you before Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior who died on the cross for you, I charge you, go forth, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And then there is a warning given as to why the instruction in verse 2 is so important. Look at verse 3 and 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, being turned aside to fables. Of course, that time has come. That time is still amongst us today. People believing in man-made doctrines and false doctrines, rather than believing in the Word of God, turn into man-made fables and lies. There's a great urgency that we should go forth and teach. And the second point being, what is it that we're going to teach? But truth. There's a great necessity for truth to be taught, not lies. Lies won't get man to heaven. Only that which is truth. John chapter 8 and verse 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? What is truth? John 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We understand what truth is. The fact of the matter is that truth must be taught because when it's not, what else is there to reign? Confusion, chaos, and that which leads to destruction, right? When truth is not taught on a regular basis, you wind up with the people who are believing in every man-made and false doctrine, getting turned to and fro from every passing wind. Consider even Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15. It reminds us not to be like little children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery, uh, trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. We need to be speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to talk just a little bit. We understand as Christians what truth is, right? Now, the world has a different uh, perspective on what truth is. And we're going to talk about a few of these things, what, world, what the world considers truth to be. Most of the world would rather only hear things that are going to make them feel good. They're not going to want to hear the things that might suggest, hey, I have work to do. I need, to, I need to continue to push a little bit harder. I need to try harder. They're not going to want to hear that as much. They begin to want to hear only the things that make them feel good rather than the things that suggest that we still have to work harder. You consider, how about uh, basing, even, basing your beliefs off of your feelings alone? Consider Nadab and Abihu. 
Do you think that they allowed their feelings to, to come before their direct obedience when they offered up strange fire? I believe they might have based that one off of feelings. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 2, it says, So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. They allowed their feelings to come before their direct obedience. How about Uzzah? Do you believe that Uzzah possibly allowed feelings to come before direct obedience? You consider in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 6, we're given an understanding of what exactly took place. And it's not the fact that, that Uzzah decided, hey, I'm going to do that which is displeasing unto the Lord. I'm going to go against what the Lord has told me. That's not, not what happened. Consider 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there before the ark. You see, it's not the case that he wanted to do that which was displeasing. He saw that the ark might fall, and he didn't want to see it desecrated. He didn't want to see it hit the ground, so he reached out just for a moment. And just in that moment's time, that's all it took. He allowed his feelings to override direct obedience. It cost him his life. What about Lot's wife? You think Lot's wife allowed her feelings to override obedience? She placed her feelings before obedience. Genesis chapter 19 Genesis chapter 19, verses 14 and following roughly. We recognize that they had family in the city. We know that they had daughters that had not met man yet, that had not known man yet, that were still living with them. There was also daughters who knew man, who had husbands, right? The scripture, Genesis chapter 19, verse 14, it says, So Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons-in-laws seemed, he seemed to be joking. The sons-in-laws didn't believe the warning that was given. They didn't believe that, yes, that city was fixing to be under destruction. They didn't believe him. Didn't heed the warning. Look at verse 16, it says, And while he lingered, the men, or excuse me, verse 15 it says, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and take your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape for the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Lot's wife did not look back because she wanted to see the destruction of a city. She did not look back because she wanted to see people die. She had other daughters in that city, sons-in-laws in that city. She had family in that city. Could you imagine fleeing from a city that you're knowing is about to be destroyed and realizing you have family still in that city and you look back just for a second? Allow your feelings to override your direct obedience just for a second. It costs her life, right? Any time in our lives, if our feelings begin to lead us in a direction which is not in line with God's word, we need to make correction. We need to make sure that we are abiding by the word of God. What about Abraham? Abraham would be one that would actually be ready and, and willing to put all feelings aside completely. He would be asked even to offer his only son, offer Isaac. I have a son I could not imagine. I could not imagine placing my son on that altar and being at the point he's at and the feelings that must have been overriding his mind and, and all the things, the emotions that he must have been feeling. Yet he was willing to go all the way. I know that he wouldn't have to. But he was willing to put all feelings aside to do that which was pleasing unto his Lord. See, God's word is not made to be uh, bent 
to fit around man. God's word is made to transform man into that which is pleasing unto God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Consider this. How about the idea of, again, talking about the different things that the world would call truth. How about majority rules? How often do you hear the people talking about majority rules? When you consider, even when you think about the denominational world, I would say that the vast majority is denominational, not that of the Lord's church. I would consider that would probably be the majority. Consider Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, talking about the narrow gate. It says, enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You consider even in Luke chapter 13 and verse 24, the urgency that's found in this text. It says, strive to enter in the narrow gate. It means it's going to take effort. We're going to have to try for it. We're going to have to work at it. It says, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. How about this thought? Sincerity. There's a lot of people that sincerely believe in false and man-made doctrines. There's a lot of people that sincerely believe in it, but is that going to get them to heaven? Sincerity does not make something true. I'll share with you just a, a kind of silly illustration. Uh, I'll explain why afterwards. But you consider a young boy, just a young young boy, and you consider he has his blue PJs on. All right, he's got his red undies pulled on over these blue PJs. He's found one of Mama's red bath towels. He's made him a cape, and he sincerely believes he's Superman. He sincerely believes he can go from that top bunk, and he's fixing to fly down the hallway into the living room. He's going to come right back in there and land on that top bunk. He sincerely believes he's a man of steel. Is he going to fly? Not unless you call free falling flying, right? He's going to learn what goes up must come down. I know how silly that, that sounds, but how much more silly is it than people believing in once saved, always saved? Or believing in man-made doctrines and man-made creeds over the holy writ? Equally as silly when you consider it. Lies will not get us to heaven. Only truth will get us to heaven. Only truth will give us a direction and instruction on how it is to live a life pleasing unto God. You consider Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. It says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. A proverb writer, Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right unto man, but its end is a way of death. Man cannot lead himself to eternal life. He is not capable we must have God, his word, and the blood of Jesus Christ, obedient unto the gospel, to find that heavenly reward. You consider 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. It tells us to be diligent, to present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How can you rightly divide the word of truth if you do not spend time in the word of truth? If you do not have an understanding of the word of God, how can you rightly divide the word of truth? We have to put forward effort. We have to put forward time in studying that word to have an understanding of it, to know how it is to live a life that would be, ple be pleasing unto God. And when it comes to our evangelistic effort in reaching out to the lost and trying to help save souls, it is of utmost importance that we teach the one and only gospel, the word of God, his truth. You consider this goes all the way back even to the first century. The Galatian letter, why was the Galatian letter being written? People were trying to turn back to parts of the old law and put that in with, part, with the new law. 
Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away from him so soon who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He says, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. It would go on to say, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. And you go on in the very next verse and he says, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. There was a great importance for the one gospel to be taught then. There is just as much now a necessity for the one gospel to be taught from the pulpits today. Even when we're evangelizing and reaching out to the lost, it is of utmost importance to teach the truth, brethren. you got to consider the world that we live in today. The world that we live in today and the things that are going on around us, and you'll recognize the necessity for truth. You consider the time that we live in, consider that, that what man wants to justify murder is how far along a woman is when she decides to abort a child. Yet if, a, if a, a pregnant woman is hit by a drunken driver, now it's a double homicide. Now they want to give recognition that, yes, there's a baby in there. But before, no, it's okay if the mama wants to abort it. It's not murder. Yes, that's murder. We live in a time where homosexuality is called a sexual preference rather than the sin that it is. People halfway through their lives decide, I'm going to change genders. I'm going to be the opposite gender for the rest of my life. Such things ought not to be. Are we going to stand in the Word of God? Are we going to stand for truth and teach truth? Or are you going to stand in the gap? You consider Ezekiel's time, there was a need for men to stand in the gap, stand in the breaches of the wall. Will you stand in the gap on such topics? Will you stand for truth? Be grounded in the Word of God. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's the charge that's before us today. There's a great necessity for truth. To be taught. We are obligated to stand firm in that truth no matter how uncomfortable the situations may be. And if you're evangelizing at all, brethren, you're going to have conversations that are uncomfortable. You're going to have conversations on such topics that are very uncomfortable, but guess what? We should still have them. We should still teach truth even on topics such as marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So much of the world has took this one and, and gone so far astray with it. But isn't it, isn't it our responsibility to continue to teach truth on it? You consider Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. It says, and I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. Jesus' words. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The Bible lays it out there pretty clear. It's our responsibility to continue to go forth and even teach on this truth. Yes, we need to, need to approach it in love. We need to approach it in love and try and help an individual and try and help that soul reach that heavenly reward. But we cannot veer from truth. We cannot turn from the truth just because it makes the conversation uncomfortable. It's still our responsibility, our obligation to teach the truth. And when it comes to our youth... We need to be distressing them at an early age how important that relationship it is that they're getting into. What God thinks about that relationship, not what the world thinks about it. God's word teaches on the matter. Consider Titus chapter 2. This is instruction given even for the older women. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 
It says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, and obedient to their husbands. And then consider even instruction for the husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Yes, the bar has been set high, but has he given us any commandments that we cannot do? Absolutely not. God's pattern works. God's plan works. We are to abide in that word, in that truth. What about the, uh, and this is another one, that, that if you do much evangelizing at all, you'll come across this conversation. This idea of I can consume alcohol as long as I do not get drunk. That can be a difficult topic. You can definitely anger some people about this topic. But is it any less our responsibility to have that conversation when approached? That's our responsibility. You know, I don't believe that there is anywhere in the Bible that gives any kind of a, a, a understanding that that is okay. I believe the Bible is clear as to what it has to say about the consumption of alcohol. I do believe that there are some who so much enjoy that consumption that they're not going to hear or not heed to what the Word of God has to tell them. Consider some verses with me. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whosoever is led astray by it is not wise. If you're in Proverbs, turn a few more pages. Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 29. I know these are Old Testament references, and we're going to go to the New Testament here in a minute. Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrows? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without a cause? The idea of having wounds the next day that you're not even real sure where they come from. Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. It goes on in the following verses to describe the very addictive nature of it. Talking about even after all that, the very next day you'll wake up and go in search of the same drink. Look into the New Testament with me. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the lack of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One more verse I want you to look at. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, and I want you to pay attention to the time stamp on the text. Recognize the time stamp on the text. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. It reads, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Who's this talking about? It says we did enough of this in our past life. This is a reference to the old man, the man that was laid down in the water grave of baptism. This is not a reference to the new man. This is not the conduct nor the character of the new man. This is not something the new man's going to partake in. 
This is completely a reference to that of the old, that which we left behind in that watery grave, that which we left behind. Consider even, not to mention how many times the Bible continues to stress the importance of a sober mind. How many verses continue to stress the importance of sobriety? 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter 4, 7, Titus 2, 2, Titus 2, 6, Titus 2, 12, and you can keep on building on that. You see, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible teaches about alcohol is it is even the sin in the very process of becoming drunk. When's that process start? The very first drink. So who can say that I can drink so much and, and not get drunk? It starts at the very first drink. That's what the Bible teaches about alcohol. And it is our responsibility as Christians to go forth and to teach that truth. And yes, if we're evangelizing, we're going to have that conversation. And yes, it might be uncomfortable, but should we uh, veer from it? Absolutely not. Not if we care about souls. Not if we care about the soul of man. Last point. When we are teaching truth, when we're teaching truth, we're hoping it brings about repentance. We're hoping it brings about a change in a man's heart for the desire to now follow after Christ and live as God would see pleasing or see fit. That we'd be pleasing unto him. You consider Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, Jesus speaking. He says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You can look for yourself even in Jesus' teachings. How often did Jesus condemn man for his sin? He pointed out sin. He condemned man for his sin. You consider how often it was that Jesus taught about heaven and how often it was that he taught about hell. He taught more about hell. He wanted us to realize, yes, this is a real place and you're going to want absolutely nothing to do with it. You want to change your ways. You want to repent. You want to live a life pleasing unto me. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. Jesus speaking again. Luke 24 and verse 47 he would say that and repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's what we're hoping for is repentance. I heard a preacher once say that, that if the only thing that is being taught, and believe me, I understand that there needs to be a good balance. There needs to be those sermons that edify and build us up and encourage, but there also needs to be the sermons that remind us of all the truths, even if it steps on toes a little bit. A preacher once said, if the only thing that you're preaching is to make you feel good kind of sermons and never those ones that might step on toes, you're spiritually starving a congregation to death. You consider Acts chapter 2 and the Apostle Peter. Do you think that he was stepping on toes the day of Pentecost? You better believe it. I would suggest to you he was jumping up and down on them that day. He looked them people dead in the eye and he said, you who crucified Jesus. You who put the Son of God on the cross. So what shall we do? What must we do? He brought about repentance. You know, a preacher once said that uh, somebody came up to him at the end of a, of a uh, lesson and, or a sermon, and he said, Preacher, you're stepping on my toes. He said, I'm sorry. I wasn't aiming for your toes. I was aiming for your heart. God's word, God's truth, will either harden the heart of a man or it will soften the heart of a man in it can bring about repentance. That's what we're hoping for. One last thought in the lesson, You know, oftentimes we consider the verse when it talks about life is but a vapor. Life is but a vapor is here for a moment and it vanishes away. When we consider that verse and we think about our lives, it's more often than not we consider, okay, how am I living? Am I living in a manner which is right with God? 
I'm not promised tomorrow. Can I pillow my head comfortably tonight and realize that, yes, I could find my reward? But here's what I want you to think about. We're talking about evangelism. I want you to consider this verse in the manner of evangelism. Me and my wife had the opportunity to study here recently with a young couple. We had the opportunity to have some studies with them. Now, they come from a denominational background, so we're having to work through some of that. We had about four studies. We'd have them over to the house. We would we'd have dinner. We'd have a Bible study. Uh, we'd go over to their house. We'd have dinner. We'd have a Bible study. I come out of work. Lake Cypress Springs, we do construction work. I come out of work, come out of King's Country. I got out to Highway 115. I look down to the left, down to the bridge, and all I see is fire trucks and ambulance and police cars. We didn't get to have that next study. We had not yet gotten to baptism for the remission of sins. He lost his life. Even when it comes to our evangelistic efforts, even when it comes to reaching out to lost souls, we are not promised that next study. We are not promised that next conversation. We need to take the opportunities that we have at hand and put out our best effort to spread the truth of the one message that can save souls. Being good stewards of that which God has so richly blessed us with our time and our opportunity and our abilities. Never should we veer from truth. Should we use our better judgment as to when it is that we should approach certain topics? Yes. But we should never veer from truth. We need to stay grounded in the Word of God. As it relates to your life today, no one can answer but you. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? Where do you stand when it comes to evangelism, reaching out to the lost? That's each and every one of our responsibilities. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? Would you hear, hear well done, thy good, and pleasing, my, thy good and faithful servant? Or would you hear, depart, I never knew you? As it relates, where do you stand? If there's anything we can help you with this evening, if you need prayers of the congregation, I hope you'll take the opportunity to come forward and let your brothers and sisters pray for you, to wrap their arms around you, hug your neck, and uplift you for the week to come. If you've not yet started that walk in Christ, we would love to study with you about that too, even considering what it is, counting the cost to discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. If we can help you in any way, please let it be known as together we stand and as we sing. Wow.